Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. everybody, this is Matt Taylor, person involved with ThePopBreak.com, and I'm here with my Oscar collaborator, Marissa Carpico, film editor at ThePopBreak.com. Say hi, Marissa. Hello. And we're doing another one of our Oscar breakdowns that we've been rushing out to you for this week um, in prep for the Oscars on Sunday. Um, we're going to quickly start with Best International Feature Film, which we're not going to do a deep dive into because we've already talked about a lot of the nominees, or we will later in the episode. And then we'll do animated and um, documentary features. But quickly for International Feature Film, the five films nominated are Corpus Christi from Poland, which never played anywhere near either of us apparently <laughs> and is missing in action yeah it's gonna um, come out like two weeks from now yeah per- perfect um uh i've heard not great things from from people but um that managed to catch a screener but whatever um also nominated honeyland from north macedonia which we'll be talking about um because it's also nominated documentary so we'll come back to that later um les miserables not the victor hugo adaptation from france Pain and Gloria from Spain and Parasite from South Korea. We the, the reason we're doing such a quick summary of this category is because Marissa and I have already talked so much about Pain and Glory and Parasite throughout these episodes where I don't think our opinions are a secret at all. So, And you'll hear our talk about Honeyland in, in a little bit. But Marissa, do you want to just quickly remind people what you thought of Les Miserables? Yeah, Les Miserables, I, I haven't seen um, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire yet because i missed it when i was uh out of the country and it's not coming back out until next week so um but you know there was a lot of talk about they should have put that forward france as their their pick uh to run in this category but they chose les miserables instead and uh, les mis i think is fine but i think um they it's it takes the title and try to and basically sort of updates this idea of revolution um, for today. And essentially it does that by looking at like race and class inequality and um, uh, income inequality in France. So it's, it takes place in in a, in a their version of like a low-income neighborhood, like a banlieue. Um, and there's a, a little boy steals a tiger from the circus, basically, or a lion. Um, and then and the police get involved, and one of the police is a racist, and uh, there's a new guy traveling around with him and this, his partner who's black, um, and they chase down the kid, and then uh, a, a bit of a, a moment of violence happens, and this there's a sort of slow building tension throughout the film to see like what's going, how bad is it's going to get, and then the whole thing ends with sort of a this connects back to the the whole idea of like revolution. Um, it's an interesting idea. I do think it's a little, the strokes are a little too broad that it's painting in. Um, so it comes off like if it came out here, we would find it a little, um, you know, uh, government, you know, government and history 101 ish. Um, it's, I think the ending is very good, but the rest of it's a little, I don't know. I just think it's a little messy. Um, but and I also, it's just, of the four that I've seen, it's the least interesting. Like, it's, you know, I, I, I kind of think, 
I said this on the Cinema Joe's podcast, but um, Honeyland is so liked, and I think enough people will vote in Parasite um, that, or, you know, think, vote Parasite in Best Picture and for other categories that I think in the, the worst case scenario, Oscar night, Honeyland wins this and Parasite doesn't, and Parasite eventually gets shut out of the whole thing. But that's like my, my, <laughs> my post apocalyptic prediction. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's that. Um, but yeah, I, I think Payton Lamez is fine, but I, I, I think that clearly things the, the, the they were weaker um, submissions than last year that it got in here for to me, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> that um, God, that's a doomsday scenario right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paris being totally totally shut out. Um, yeah, I don't think it'll happen anymore. But there, well, I mean, actually, I don't know. You never know. Yeah, I mean, there is. It is somewhat believable that the Academy would not vote for Parasite in international because they think it'll get picture and then mm-hmm. having that cost it. But I don't know. I don't know. Let's, let's hope not. Um, um, on that note, let's move right into documentary. Cause we'll eventually talk about one of the other nominees there. And, um, we'll, the documentary feature film nominations. We'll start with American factory, which is, um, a Netflix movie. Uh, Marissa, do you want to briefly describe American factory and offer your thoughts on it? Sure. It is about a Chinese company, a glass making company. They mostly make um, glass for car windshields um, that purchases uh, and sets up a factory in Ohio um, that is uh, in, in just a, used to be a factory that closed down a few years prior um, because the area became became economically depressed so all this this company this foreign company comes in and tries to you know uh create a factory there and they do um but there's all these um culture clashes if you will and that's what the film thinks is the problem but what Mm. the film doesn't seem to realize is that its actual subject is the issues of capitalism which is um, here we have law, laws and regulations so that people don't have to not see their families. Although this week the Iowa caucus is testing the limits of that um, <laughs> for me personally. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think the film is ultimately a little – gets lost misses – its, misses the point, honestly. Um, it is just not very thoughtful or good, especially compared to – so many of the other things in this category and so many of the documentaries that I saw this year, because I saw, I, I, as always, I've seen many documentaries. Um, but yeah, I, 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 uh, I do think the problem about it though, is that it, um, it's kind of a, I don't know, sexy American issue kind of thing. So I think it has a good chance of winning, honestly, even though I don't think it's good. Yeah, I have a feeling it's probably going to take the award home, but it's definitely my least favorite of these five. And truly a movie that I I, I think is really, like, m- not getting the story correct. Yeah. It's like, as a piece of journalism, it, like, really the context, which is so key for this type of story. Uh, there's moments in the movie that are compelling to a degree, especially when it focuses on like the human interest angle of like these American workers and their day to day lives. But th- this this has no sense of understanding how, you know, what the effects of capitalism really are, how capitalism um, changes country to country and everything like that. 
like it has a lot of blind spots to America's problem with capitalism, which is like you know a, a really a really big misstep on their part when they're trying to tell a movie, tell a story about them. And um, yeah, I just you know there's a there's a great article by Karen Chen on DearProducer.com called "Why I Had a Hard Time Watching American Factory," that offers some more context as to what um, American Factory might get wrong. And or what American Factory might just be ignorant to. And I think people should absolutely check it out because this movie has a lot of problems. And um, but, yeah, I do think it's going to win because it just like mm. it, it, it's in a way the most accessible of the five, I think. Um, maybe. But it'll be it'll be strange. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, it, it's fun because it gets it, it gets distracted by like. Um, isn't it crazy that China's so different with like not understanding like yeah there's a reason but like you know what you're talking about here right like both of the problems are really a question of of like capitalism and the way that companies abuse their workers and went unregulated even here and like the things it makes fun of in in China Chinese like corporate culture is stuff that was perfected in mid-century America. And it seems to have no understanding of that, which is like, wh- who did anyone do their homework on this thing or what? Like what's going on? Like, and what is the point of the story that like, there shouldn't be foreign and cringe infringement and in, into the like U S uh, f- like business space. What, what is it saying? It's very messy. And it really like, yeah, that, that moment that you're referencing of like, showing the cultural differences is cringe inducing because it just it feels so like it's missing it's missing its own point um mm-hmm. but it'll probably win <laughs> so um we'll we'll have to just reckon with that on our own um the next film nominated is the cave D- did you get to see the cave marissa i watched um, it uh between iowa caucus updates Oh God, um, what a heavy viewing for for that sort of situation. Um, yeah, this film is directed by Faris Fayad, and um, it's the story of female doctors working in Syria dealing with um, both like the systemic or the systemic sexism that w- comes with being a woman in, in medicine, and then also just the fact that they're in a war zone, like there are airstrikes and bombings. Um, happening that like influence their day-to-day lives and it's a very heavy film as one might expect given that subject matter but i think it's it's compelling in its execution and i found it ultimately as troubling and as hard to watch as it can be and many of the films nominated this year for documentary are hard to watch like in the end i found myself like it, it justified how hard it is at points. Like it, it's moving. It's not quite as moving as another film that's hard to watch from these nominees, but mm-hmm. it's 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 effective. I think it feels. It's funny. It's on. It's available on National Geographic. That's. Um, I think they produced it as well. Yeah. Um, and in a in a way, and this is not meant to be a total dig. It does sort of feel more like a National Geographic segment or like a sixty minute segment than it does um, a documentary film to me. But you know, that's a, a minor quibble. I think. What do you think? Yeah, I I think um, the, the filmmaking techniques that it uses and the sort of way it tr- tries to dramatize and narrativize things are overdone and make it seem constructed and lessen the impact of what is already a good um, 
or or engaging story. So I think it's bad filmmaking, frankly. I, I'm a I'm a little surprised mm. it's in it's in the category. Um, like I, I I'm not sure. I just am not sure what it was attempting to do with all of that. What because it it feels unnecessary, and I don't know. You know, when 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 you're watching a documentary and you hear a phone call being said over screw oh, on on the on in voice voiceover or music playing, you have to wonder: is that happening? Is this diegetic or is this something added in later and there were and that's distancing in a documentary um regardless of whether like that's not even you know regardless of what kind of viewer you are um it's going to force a viewer especially people like us who watch so many films and are constantly thinking about how films are made how is this like is this real what can i believe in this moment why am i being cued to create an emotion here when when any normal human being with empathy would feel emotion in this scene or understand what's at stake here. Um, and yeah, I just think it's really clunky, the filmmaking and perhaps it, it suffers from being in the same category as a, as another film that talks mm-hmm. about a, a siege in a hospital in Syria um, at the same, you know, that is much more visceral. So I don't know. It's definitely, um, it's it's tough coming out the same year as the other film that we're referencing because it's very hard not to compare them both, I think. And um, one is more successful than the other. But I, it's I, I it has like the more like you said, like I think the way it over like um, over relies on cues basically to the audience about the emotional I can I, about the emotional reactions. I could see that why that's like troubling um, for you and then why also it really works for the Academy who are watching this um, as like, you know, more general moviegoers in a weird way. (laughs) Um, Well, no, I mean, it's like, if you look at American factory, it's all the same, it's the same mm -hmm. kind of filmmaking, but it's, it's, it's like, it's this leading you on sort of thing. And it's, it's not, it's both of them are inherently sort of uncinematic. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't quite work as well as um, some of the other ones, especially since so many documentaries this year are so visceral. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on to one of the more visceral ones. Um, actually, um, one of my favorites of the of the the collection, "The Edge of Democracy," which is also available on Netflix. It's one of the two nominated this year from them, and this is. I think a really interesting film from Petra Costa um, about um, just like focusing on two Brazilian presidencies and the way the, um, the classism and the um, and political scandals all played a part in these candidates going from being very, very popular to being um, controversial and hated and even imprisoned in some cases. And, what I find, what I found really effective about this film as a whole is Petra Costa's directing, like directorial decisions. She really like takes a lot, she takes a lot of archival footage and like news footage of um, these presidents um, at speeches, at events, uh, campaigning, and captures their um, 
their movements and everything in this way that like evokes like the theater of politics, which I think is very interesting. And it's very it's 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 subtle in her execution, but I think she does so much exploring of the way people interpret political speeches and everything like that and the way people interpret politicians actions and then she also just had this incredible amount of clearance as a documentarian where like she gets footage sometimes from these filmmakers from these um politicians like on the campaign trail that it's like it's as if she always knew she was going to be making a movie like this mm-hmm. and um and then the third even though realistically she probably would she probably couldn't have and then um the third thing that i just think ties it all together so nicely is she includes a lot of information about her family and her personal history with politics and the way different generations were like identified politically. And I think that's such an important lens that put the film through of showing how, um, you know, like your persona and your personal life is influenced by politics. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, personally, that is true for me right now. (laughs) I've been working, (laughs) you know, 20 hour days at this point, basically for a week straight or four days straight. Um, I'm at the end of my my rope here. Um, Poor Marissa. I'm, listeners, please compliment Marissa for even recording this podcast. That's <laughs> so brutal. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, you know, this one was n- not as triggering for me as I think it would be for the average person because, like, this is, I am steeped in all, all this at all times um, in many ways. Um but I, I did – it was interesting to emphasize the, like, spin factor of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we are not um, unaware of spin in our in our political system either at this moment. Um, and you watched it on uh, – during an impeachment vote, which is very – you know, <laughs> which yeah. dovetails exactly with what it's talking about. Um, I have just watched it in, you know, my, my normal uh, pre-Iowa caucus life when I, when I got to see the outside world. Um, and it's very, it's very good. I, I think it is interesting to watch the way it is about um, how the political is both personal and um, depends on your perspective, I suppose. Um, like, it's interesting that it, she's grappling, the director is constantly grappling with, like, what her image is of things and the president and what is happening to her country. And then there's this whole other side of who sees things completely differently. And like, obviously uh, we can understand the idea of that in the current moment we're living in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, I sort of wanted her to dig into that a little more, like get someone on the screen who so that I could have more context, but I don't know if that's her job necessarily. You know, I just mm-hmm. I just lack that context because I I only have one time for one <laughs> political <laughs> system in my life right now. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I I wanted more context, but I don't. Again, I don't know if that's her job. Um, and realistically, by doing it from a sort of personal approach to all of this, like perhaps it's more meaningful. I don't know. It, it's, but I, I mean, the thing I did say about it, um, was that like, eh, not that we need this reminder, particularly in this moment, um, while I'm still in my office, uh, wh- how, how much work democracy is realistically mm-hmm. and how easy it is to, 
how short our collective memories are as as yes. people yes. in <laughs> who are so affected by this. Like, I don't know. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. Yeah, that um, that's a like I just the idea of like how short our memories are and um, some of the footage is just really troubling to watch basically um but i'm happy you weren't that triggered by it given um, everything going on yeah. right now um let us move on to another film that's pretty i mean they're all pretty harrowing let's be real yeah um but the more harrowing of the two we have left for sama do you, i know you really like this movie a lot do you want to quickly sum up the plot yeah i um it is about um a um a journalist, uh, sort of, I guess you would call her a video journalist mostly. She um, uh, is, it's similar, it's the reason I said it was similar to The Cave is that it's it sort of takes place in the same milieu, um, not in the same city. Um, there, she, this, is, it's, this takes place in Aleppo, but um, it's also during a siege of Aleppo um, because uh, put a, that's like uh, as a response to the um, the Syrian regime. She and her husband are considered like uh, rebels against it, um, outspokenly so. And she's a photojournalist, so of course that would be true. Um, and like during a seven five year period, um, I say seven because it took two more years to make it. Um, so during a five year period, it's the way that this Aleppo, where she and her her originally just like a friend of hers, but then then husband um, sort of met and grew together and and then sort of f- started fighting against this regime by living and working in a hospital every day because he's a doctor. Um, it shows the evolution of a city and the toll this constant warfare would take on people and then a sort of... Um, in a very personal way, in the way that the cave does doesn't. Let's say this is this is really it says for Sama because that is their daughter who was born during all of this, who is constantly this reminder of like what are we fighting for, what do we what do we choose why why do we choose to stay here? Should we keep choosing to stay here? What's what are we why are we doing this? Because realistically their daughter is in danger at all times and they're in danger at all times because the hospital they that her husband works in is a um is a target realistically I and mean, it, it's it there are bombs dropped on it occasionally mm-hmm. um you know that's why they cave they go underground <laughs> so yeah it's a, just a very personal and sort of searing experience because she in part because it's personal, you know, it starts with like, I was living here. Um, you know, she's talking to her daughter directly in voiceover saying like, you know, when you ask one day, what, what, how did your father and I meet and how did we decide to, you know, how did this happen? Why did we eventually become, you know, refugees? They, they live in, um, uh, the UK now. Um, like here's, here's wh- how and why. And like, there's just so many powerful, insanely like, cinematic moments in it you know there's Mm. and it she it does so much storytelling through the choices of what's kept because this is like again this is five years of footage there were like um they said it in a Q and a after i saw the film but it was like there were like you know 
700 hours or some something of footage when they started, which is why it took two years to edit down. Um, and the things that are chosen are so smartly chosen and say everything you need, need to know. Like there is occasionally voiceover, but it's sparing um, and it's sort of helping you frame things rather than like leading you along or something. Um, and there are like really powerful moments in it. Like I think there's small moments where a bomb goes off at one point, very close to the hospital and she's just filming what, um, what Al Khatib, uh, the director and, you know, person who uh, filmed it all. Um, and there's a bomb that goes off nearby and she jumps, but there, but Sama doesn't, she just doesn't react to it. Cause she's used to it. And it's mm. like, there's a subtle indicator of like, this is how normalized this has become and how heinous that is for like a child to not jump at all. She doesn't even cry. She just like doesn't even move. Um, and then there's, you know, the scene with the, um, with the little baby uh, that, that they looks like it's going to die. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I mean, people were like, <laughs> you could hear the, how upset people were getting in the, in the theater when I was, when I saw it, cause it was a packed theater. So there's just such like brilliant things in it. And I think it is like, I like most of the things in this category or no, that's not true. I like this and, and the next one we're going to talk about a whole lot. <laughs> um, but, like, this for me is, like, w- one of the most striking things I've ever seen committed to film in terms of documentary filmmaking and, like, editing and sort of the way it's recording. You know, this is this is recent history as it's happening. Um, and here we are watching it. And then the way that sort of, like, th- one of the things for me that didn't quite work in the cave is the way that it sort of tr- ties all of it into the refugee crisis at the end. Um and this does the same thing, but in a subtler way, not a subtler way, but a way that, that really does what the other tries so hard to do. And I think misses the misses the mark on. Yeah, um, I'm happy you had so much to say about it, because, like, I think this movie is masterful, but like mm-hmm. in a way that I have found very hard to put into words, like it just sort of feels like the sort of thing that like must be watched basically like even if you don't typically watch documentaries like you said it's just this feat of filmmaking like i i cannot believe how much footage was recorded and how they managed to edit it all down into the into this way that is compelling and like under two hours and makes sense as a documentary like documentary film and also how like it's intensely personal in a way that like so few movies can be mm-hmm. and um, doesn't feel like too personal as to alienate the viewer. Basically it, it's, it's incredible, incredible work. And, you know, I also really like the next one we're talking about and the age of democracy, but like this does sort of, I think transcends the group as like something a little bit more basically. And I hope people watch it. I, um, it's on. It's available through PBS. That's the easiest way to um to watch it. So yeah. I strongly recommend. Um, yeah, it's completely movie. free. You don't need any kind of anything. You know, nope. you can watch it. Um, yeah, that was the thing about it too. Is that I was I was seeing it at a screening where I knew I was going to have to review it afterwards, and I kept missing it for months because I first had the chance to see it during Tribeca, which you know obviously I didn't have time, mm-hmm. and then it was like I think I was at a. I honestly think I was at an Academy screening, like. pre pre nomination because the demo was that (laughs) and they brought, and they brought 
uh, the director and her and her husband were there afterwards. Um, at one uh, and the other guy who helped uh, co-direct it, um, they were all there, and I was like, oh my god, like this has got to be some sort of push because it was right around the right time. But yeah, like watching it, I was like, how the fuck am I going to write about this? Like, what the what the hell am I going to do here? Um, but I, you know, I did it. <laughs> but it was, it's <laughs> difficult to really verbalize honestly like how how effective it is mm-hmm. it's incredible it's yeah. i i love it um i love is a, love is a weird word for it but it's i think very important um the the final film which is also nominated for best um, international film is honeyland which is a real a really crazy and interesting film about um the last female bee hunter in europe who um is attempting to help restore balance in the bee community through more natural beekeeping. And she's able to do this in her, like she has like this very like comfortable, um, I mean, looks very challenging, but like this, like she's very good at what she does like, as this person trying to keep balance in the bee, in the bee world. And it follows her, the challenge she faces when another family um, who are nomadic beekeepers who um, have a more, business-minded approach essentially to beekeeping um they come into the picture and are there's the con- a conflict ensues between the two of them and i know quite a bit about beekeeping actually but because of my day job um i'm not a beekeeper but um i do have a book of, I, I did publicize a book on beekeeping and um it's like it's really interesting to see this it laid out in a um on screen like this it's it's very compelling and um my main takeaway was like the directors of the film, um, Tamara Korveska and a name that I'm like Lizmobor Stefanov. Um, the two of them, the way they are able to in their in the footage they they got recording, um, like of just people doing their jobs, the way they are able to like mine the drama out of it and create like a conflict that could have worked as like a feature length film without changing much. Like as like, um, as like a feature film, not a feature length film. Yeah. Like um, a narrative. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like you don't have to change much. Like you could have told me that this was actors and I would be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, it's incredibly compelling and devastating at points. Um, and just yet like the footage they capture is both beautiful and also just like really, really compelling. And it ends up becoming, very subtly a film about like, you know, in a way, like the perils of capitalism and everything like mm-hmm. that. And um the broader environmental um issues that might arise from that. I I, re- I really loved it. It is available on a Hulu, so I hope people will check it out. Um what do what do you think about this one? Yeah, I've reviewed this one too and I actually found the the reasons for liking this harder to articulate than for Sama in a weird way. I might have just burned, been burned out at the time. Um but like for me, the thing that is so fascinating about it is that it it is it feels like a um, yes, it does feel like a narrative film. And watching it, I was like, how long did they film for? Is it really just one season that they happened to just come here at the most dramatic time for this <laughs> woman? Um, I'm sure it was like filmed over a period of time. I I, I you know it, it was never in my um, in the press stuff that I got, but. Um, for me, the thing that's interesting about it is that it, it feels like a parable of of greed and um, respecting nature and like 
humility that like truly you could pick up out of the like the Bible or something and just be like, yep, that is a lesson to all of us. So and it's beautifully shot. There's all these that there's all these beautiful drone shots and like, you know, this is just normal normal what life in a wilderness realistically um and it's just so some of the imagery is just so beautiful these 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 things you see and like everything that it means and like i don't know i think it's brilliant like truly uh, you know again i watch a lot of documentaries and these two definitely stuck with me more than most yeah they're they're the i think um the two real highlights of the year i also like edge of democracy quite a bit yeah um I, I think for Sama like would easily be my vote for the for the win, but like realistically, I'd be happy with Honeyland or Edge of Democracy winning, especially over American Factory. Yeah. Um, what about you? Like, is for Sama your pick of, of the five? Yeah, I would be happy with for Sama or Honeyland because I, I could I could understand in a pile of screeners um, for Sama not being something anybody would want to. They'd look at it and be like, oh. No, that's too heavy. Yeah. Um, so I can see where it would get missed. But yeah, I, if you've seen all of them, I think it's unconscionable to vote for anything but for Zama. Um, but I would be perfectly happy with Honeyland, which they clearly like a lot because it's nominated in this and international feature, which I also think is thrilling because I think it's so good and people should watch it. Um, and I wouldn't mind Edge of Democracy. I just don't like it as much as the other two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as, I really hope it's on American Factory. But it probably will be. It probably will be. Um, but we'll see. Um, we'll talk about snubs pretty fast. I only have one, really. I, I We share one, but I'll, I'll let you talk about that one. Um, um, I just want to give a quick... What oh, is really, it? Uh, Apollo should, 11. Should, oh, I wasn't going to say it. I was going to do other stuff. Oh, okay. I'll talk about Apollo 11 really fast and one yeah. other one. Um, the one other one, really quickly, um, is um, Hail Satan, which is... Um, <laughs> I have some – I don't know if they're issues or if it's just a, a personal thought that is making preventing me from fully loving it. Mm-hmm. But um, this is a movie about the um, the Church of Satan or Temple of Satan. I forgot what their official name is. And um, it explores their quote-unquote religion and how like their, their, their goal is not so much to like be this demonic entity that people imagine when they hear those words. But like – challenge america's um assumptions about religion and state and everything and it's uh it's very thought-provoking even though like i knew a lot about them before watching it so it wasn't necessarily like mind-blowing but i think for people that don't know anything about them it will be really informative um a part of me does wonder if it is capable of actually persuading anybody because i feel like anybody who watches it would automatically would like be ready to agree with it anyway and i just don't know if if that's an issue with film or so much an issue with the world, but um, you know, it's very compelling and it's funny and it's like 80 something minutes. So I do recommend it. Um, and then the other one that I really enjoyed from this year is um, which we've talked about many times throughout the season is Apollo 11, which is just like, you know, I, I mentioned this on my letterbox review. It was like the first time I understood what the trip to the moon really meant for our nation and the way on a technical level the way it takes archival footage that was not recorded with sound obviously and then combines it with sound effects and a score is just out of this world and it's a really really good movie that i hope um people seek out and those are both on hulu so you know it's easy to check them out yeah yeah no i, I it's funny i didn't do apollo 11 because i was like oh he'll do all my i got other stuff to, like, <laughs> 
Go um, for it. Let's hear. Yeah. So I I I reviewed also Hail Satan. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm the documentary queen on the site. That's always been the way it is. Um, there's a lot of stuff I saw at um, uh, Tribeca that I I'm genuinely surprised and throughout the year honestly i'm genuinely surprised are not nominated like making waves which is about um sound work in film i i i really am shocked that it um because it's about the film business um and it's brilliant so i just am a little confused about why it was not i don't know where did they not push it i don't know what happened there um because it won a sound award at the like um the the industry sound the sound and you know the sound mixing editing industry's own awards so clearly it would have been a contender i don't know what happened there um that probably should have been nominated um tell me who i am which is a a, a very personal documentary i think i've mentioned on the pod um that was on netflix about um these two twin these twin brothers who um one of them in, is in an accident and then for, forgets everything about their childhood and then depends on the other twin to tell him everything um, and then uh, eventually realizes that in doing so the other twin uh, hid a very very upsetting family secret um, is like also one of the most memorable things I saw this year um, Wig which is about um, Wigstock in New York and the drag scene in New York, basically, um, I thought was great. There's a couple things that didn't come out, like Leftover Women, um, which is from China. That is incredible and like such a shot to me as a single woman, even in America. <laughs> um, and also, like, I, I, this is probably like indulgent, but I think it's good enough, like for me at least, because it's basically film school analysis in the in a film form um the showgirls documentary you don't know me is so fucking good and obviously it's not under it's not wasn't even possible to get nominated because they still haven't released it for some reason they're still running it at festivals um which i i really don't i think it's honestly a bad strategy for that release of that film um because if they put it on netflix it would everyone would watch it um but the one I kind of don't understand why it's not in here is Michael Apted's 63 Up, which is realistically probably going to be the last film in a decades-long um, series of documentaries in which he checks in on a group of children every seven years. Um, and, you know, Apted is, like, in his 70s now, so there's possible that he'll get another one in mm-hmm. before he kicks he and and all of his subjects kick the bucket but damn <laughs> yeah i mean that's what we're playing with here realistically <laughs> and you can tell when he made it that he kind of was hedging his bets about who may or may not still be alive at the end of it um because usually they're sort of they he they're edited in such a way that um things are each person who they follow it's all sort of mixed together so that like you know, if they're talking about economics all at once or political stuff all at once, they they all he goes to each person. But this was literally just like, here's what here's what she's doing. Here's what this guy's doing. Let's move on. Here's this one. Here's this one. Here's this one. Here's this one. And this one ends with images from the very first, which is um, which gives the the whole um, idea for the documentary, which is like 
show me a child at seven and I'll show you the few, you know, the man mm-hmm. essentially. So that essentially positing that by seven years old, you are who you are. Um, and the whole thing was at that time was like, this is what the, uh, the adults of the future will look like in, in 1999 or in the year 2000 or something like that, <laughs> which like, you know, in the sixties or whatever was, it felt like a, a bajillion years away, but now we're, we're obviously past that. Um, so yeah, I, and I just, you know, part of that, the reason that those films work is because is through accumulation and I've seen all of them. Um, but if you were to only see one 63 up is very good and, and could do it. And I don't know, it's just, just a, like in the same way that like, I don't think boyhood is great, but I think purely is an experiment in filmmaking. It mm. stretches what we think of movie can do. Um, and I think 63 up deserves attention purely for that. It, those all sound really fascinating, and um, I want to definitely seek a lot of them out. Especially, I I cannot believe I have not watched You Don't Know Me yet. I'm very <laughs> upset. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to a somewhat less exciting category to talk about this year: um, best animated feature film. The we'll go through the five nominees, and then um, I don't have any snubs, but maybe maybe you do, Marissa. <laughs> um, okay. Um, all right, so the first nominee, which I really thought came out a million years ago, but it was apparently in March, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Um, I, like, like I enjoy the, enjoyed the first two films in this, in this franchise, um, which came out, again, it feels like a million years ago, and I was a little disappointed with this one. It just felt, like, so minor compared to the first two, and I don't know if that's more just me being older and more cynical <laughs> or um, the film not being as good, but at the very least, those are some of the best looking animated movies that are around. So I, I don't hate the nominee. I, I genuinely cannot think of anything to replace it. So, you know, like good for it. <laughs> um, what, what, what do you think about this one? I think it's a piece of shit. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it's beautifully made. Um, but the metaphors at work are, are, are truly disastrous. There's a sort of, immigration slash slash refugee metaphor at work here that I think is really muddled. Um, And maybe it's not even trying to do that, but it's so easy to read it into that. And like, this is a year, especially like I said it with, when we talked briefly about Lion King of like, where, I don't know, I just kept watching these films meant for children being like, God damn, what are we doing? Like, this is so horrible. Like, what are we showing these kids? Like, what is this messaging that we're delivering? Um, and this is like, not only is it, I think the, the metaphor with the actual dragons sort of messy, but the thing for me that's really frustrating is the way that like the women functioning, the way the women function in this world is heinous. The like manic pixie dream dragon. I was like, I'm done. Thank you. Like, can we, can we just give a woman anything to do? And there's always been an issue here with like, why is fucking, um, What's the, what's the main kid's name? I've just completely forgotten it. Um, Hiccup. Hiccup, yeah. Yeah, Hiccup. Why is Hiccup being considered for um, ruler here when he's like, um, not, not very qualified? Like Astrid is right there. I'm not really (laughs) sure why we're doing this. Um, So it just falls into all these like, this film series that used to be so surprising and, and challenging about this, like, this defense of the sensitive boy becomes this like thing about growing up. That's like steeped in patriarchy and like old systems that we are 
currently questioning. Why are we doing this? Why are we going back to this this old way of thinking? I don't know. It just it just seems like a waste of all of the potential that the the series once had, and also just like just shitty, thoughtless bullshit about you know boys growing up that I'm just like we don't need any more of it. We've had a hundred years of it in film history. Like, let's move on, please. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> no argument from me. I, I am tired of movies about boys and I'm tired of movies about boys growing up. Uh, speaking about a movie that I, about boys that I, I kind of got tired of. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the movies that like kind of was a sleeper hit this year, even though I feel like the buzz kind of has deflated in the time since nominations to now um, is I lost my body, which is a Netflix film. Um, it's a French film that you can um, watch in France or in French or like, as I did in English and not realize it's a French movie. Yeah. <laughs> and so after the fact, when you're talking about Aaliyah Shawcott's vocal performance and you realize that no one else has listened to Aaliyah Shawcott's vocal performance. But um, this is a uh, quirky little animated movie about, um, two separate stories about this, um, a severed hands, basically making a trip through, um, a small town. And then also a, a young ish man in his like twenties trying to, um, like get close to a girl. Um, and the way he attempts to do that and ends, I, um, went in totally blind to it and no idea what it's about. Knew vaguely it involved the severed hands. And I found the severed hands bits very compelling and really well made. And as soon as I realized where the subplot about the boy was going and like his sort of journey into trying to get the attention of this girl, I was just immediately like, no, <laughs> like I was, I was so uninterested in everything going on with him. And as compelling as the hand bits were, I found it so hard to get invested in the other story. And that made the emotional payoff of when those two stories intersect totally go over my head and not over my head, but just like totally not affect me. And, um, uh, as beautiful as the animation was, I just, I have a lot of trouble caring. Um, I will say that, um, it, it has moments that work fairly well, but I just truly, I'm tired of films about men who are who want women to fix them. And then also, um, I need screenwriters to realize that having a scene where the female character says, I'm not here to fix your problems, does not mean that you get a pass to let them still be seen as these uh, items that can fix their problems. Like, we let it slide when Eternal Sunshine did it the first time, and then when every other movie did a different version of that line, it's just not as impressive. Um, but... Yeah, that that's my take on I lost my body. What do what do you think, Marissa? Um, yeah, same. I, I find this one less uh, well. The one, the, the bullshit, this this narrative of like, you know, women as ideas, um, pissed me off a lot more in How to Train Your Dragon because more people will see it and more kids will see it. Um. But yeah, this one has the same problem, and the animation is very, very good, which is unfortunate because it's just, you know, I don't know. It's interesting to me that, like, you know, a filmmaker can imagine a, uh, a metaphor this complex about a, a severed hand walking around, but literally can't imagine, like, a full human woman. So, I don't know. It's just like, what's the point of being able to draw anything if you can't do, you also can't do basic shit? It's just stupid. I don't know. 
Yeah, I I just did not care for it, and like you know, it's a it's it's beautifully animated, but whatever. So are most of these. Um, let's talk about Netflix's other movie, which I think we are the biggest fans of, similar to the Two Popes, mm-hmm. um, Klaus, which is a movie that I um, downloaded to watch on a plane. Purely because um, I knew it was nominated, I was like, I, I might as well get it out of my out of the way when I'm like, I have nothing better to do than to sit on a plane, and um, it was so good, <laughs> and I was just so deeply invested in it, where I even like we deboarded the plane, and as I was walking through the airport to get to the um, <laughs> arrivals door, I was still watching it, <laughs> and uh, which is made probably maybe very annoying for others in the airport, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's it's so charming and it's lovely and the exact sort of like what I look for in, in an animated film as an adult where I typically have such trouble connecting with an animated movie. Um, but like this is the sort of thing where it's really charming and well made. And I, I'm like, oh, if I ever have kids like this is the perfect animated movie to watch with watch with them. And I just, I love it. It was such a such a surprise. What do you think? Same. I was like so charmed by it. It's genuinely funny and enjoyable. The animation is incredible. Um, and it like, you know, I've been talking a lot about messaging so far, but like this is essentially a movie about messaging wrapped up in the sort of creation of the lore of Santa Claus that that is subtle and also meaningful and like is such a tearjerker, honestly, like um it's just really emotionally poignant and also but it's also like i don't know it does feel like a throwback type of thing of like this is the kind i thought while watching it like this is something i want to watch like every year like i would repeat watch this and there's not a lot of like especially holiday themes things that are like easy to enter into the canon of like things i want to you know one mm-hmm. would want to watch on a yearly basis but like i was like this i want to watch again this is so fun um and so well animated and like it's 2D animation, but it looks like 3D animation. There's a, you know, feature online everybody can watch to see how they updated it to look 3D. But it is 2D animation. And it's like what a wonderful thing to see it, it in in this day and age of like, you know, we can do anything except for draw a realistic woman. Um, <laughs> like uh, what a wonderful thing to see this, this like really smart, beautifully made animated film in a category that feels often so uh, soulless, honestly. Yeah, completely agree. It's, um, I, I find it so impressive and it's weirdly won a bunch of the precursor awards. So Mm -hmm. I'm almost like, shit, like, is this going to win? I'll be so happy if it wins. Um, uh, let's move on to another film that had an unexpected triumph at the golden globes. Um, and seems like a potential winner, um, Missing Link, the latest like like a like a movie. Um, yeah. wh- what did you think of Missing Link, Marissa? Bad, so bad. <laughs> um, this one I think is the weakest story of all of the uh, the things. Well, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I would say that's true. I think the other ones have bad messaging. This one just is, um, I think, just bad. <laughs> I remember <laughs> seeing it when it came out and being like, "This fucking thing. This is their worst like of this company," which. Has, does great animation. Like, I, I can't deny that the stop motion is incredible. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful that they're making it. Um, but this thing is a fucking disaster in terms of, like, it's boring as fuck because the characters are poorly drawn. The narrative is, like, <sighs> scattershot, frankly. Um, 
but like, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't get it. And I'm a little shocked that it's a, I, a, I was shocked it was so well reviewed. B, I was shocked that it made it in this category. Cause like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just, <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's just so heavy handed and bad. I don't know. It's just bad. I think it's terrible. It's funny. I, I've always been somewhat cold on Leica. Um, mm-hmm. like, no, same, same, same. Yeah, same. I think Coraline and Paranorman have, mm-hmm. and even that one. Um, what is it called? The Box Trolls. Mm-hmm. I never saw. I never saw Kubo. Um, the three that I mentioned that I have seen, like, I get the appeal, but like, I also just they're not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, this is the first one where I was kind of like. You know, I don't get the appeal with this one unless you're, like, younger. And I could understand, like, a kid seeing this and it being really, really good. It's so pretty looking. Mm-hmm. But um, – and, like, Zach Galifianakis is giving a really committed vocal performance here. But, um, yeah, I just – I found it so uninteresting. And I, I put – I mentioned this on Letterboxd, like – but at one point, like, with, like, 20 minutes to go, the Wi-Fi went out. And I had to, like, pause the movie to go fix the Wi-Fi. And, like, in that time, I was, like – should I just not finish it? <laughs> like it really did cross my mind of like, would I will I gain anything from watching the last twenty minutes? But I did watch the last twenty minutes and nothing was gained. So it's you know I don't find it quite bad. Like if it's just it's I'm it's so indifferent to me where I'm like like similar to you I'm shocked it's like this is the one that people have like are in the corner for basically. Yeah. Um, and lastly, the film that seemed like the front runner going in, but. And might still win because people do love Pixar, but like Toy Story Four, it, um, once the front runner now might might be the um, the the loser on Oscar night. Uh, I don't have that much to say about it. I we, this movie's been talked to death in general on our podcast and <laughs> by the world. Um, I think it's fine. I think it's it's very very charming. I had a really good time in the theater. Um, the animation is like incredible. There's some. There's one shot of Bo Peep and um, Woody. I almost said Hanks. Um, Woody <laughs> underneath a car that is like genuinely beautiful. But um, yeah, like I think it's charming. I like it's funny. I love Toy Story four a lot when I saw it in theaters, and I was very much like, oh, I hope it wins. But now I'm like, no, gotta be, gotta be Klaus. I need, I need my my boy Klaus to go home with it. So. Um, yeah, but Toy Story is very good, and I mean, like, I'm sure everyone listening has seen it already and knows, but it's good. Um, what, what are you thinking on Toy Story 4? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. I think Forky's great. I think it has serious third act problems. Um, the sort of, like, you know, it does all this stuff to, like, question this sort of white male savior complex and then reinforces it in the last minute in a way that's sort of like, God damn it, you were so close! <laughs> um, and the, the last 20 minutes or so are just really feel... Um, they're they're just too silly. They like I, they just there's too many shenanigans. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm glad it probably won't net win now. I I hope it's Klaus. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I'm very very curious to see who takes it home. It's one of the more like interesting races of the night in a weird way. Um, I don't have any stubs as I mentioned. Do you want to talk about anything particularly? Oh, of course I do. Um, go go go. Well, number one, if we had to nominate a Disney movie, I'm not sure why it's not Frozen two because it. Is be- it is both twenty times better than than Frozen One and thousands of times better than Missing Link, um, but but I get maybe it's purely based on animation. Um, uh, but the one I really want to talk about is the Angry Birds movie too, which is a, truly a masterpiece. <laughs> I've mentioned it twice now on these podcasts, and I am not kidding. It is so fucking fun. Like 
the first one was a lot of fun. And a, and a friend of mine of I, and I who saw it together still quote it to this day, like the first one, constantly, um, all the time. We don't even have to, like, say it anymore. We just say, like, you know, the mime bird or whatever. Um, or, like, I'll just be like, you know what I want to say right now, <laughs> now and in what tone. Um, <laughs> and the, this one was – we went to this one being like, okay, we love the first one. This one's probably going to suck. And then we were like crying with laughter in it. There is a scene I posted on Twitter ages ago um, where the birds uh, dress up in a, in a bigger bird costume and sneak into this like compound. Um, and they, they like have to steal a pass key off of the, off of another guard. And, uh, and they do that while he's in the bathroom. And it's like a dumb, you know, weird – it's like a dumb joke about, like, some guy creeping on you, you know, like, creeping on another dude in the bathroom while he's just trying to take a piss or whatever. <laughs> but it becomes this, like, slapstick thing where the, like, fake <laughs> suit that they're wearing just looks insane and flops around a bunch. And it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And I, I had, a like, a – a respiratory issue at the time. And I thought I was going to die during that scene. I was like, I genuinely can't breathe. And I don't think I'm going to stop laughing soon enough to save myself. Um, and like, yeah, probably the animation is not as sophisticated as most of the other things in this category, but like, you know, whatever missing. It's not as if they had suddenly have integrity in the fucking Academy. Like why are we using it for the kids movie section of this thing? That's so interesting. I again, that's another movie I totally forgot came out this year. I did not see it, but um, you, you're selling me on it. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> it's, it's a full on masterpiece. I, I can't. It's, I love them. I love them so much. They're <laughs> Angry Birds one was truly iconic, and then this. I mean, I, I've, I've been thinking lately, like I gotta buy that on DVD. I, I love that. Um, and on that note, we've covered basically all the categories. You know, we have to we have to do some abbreviated versions. But even though you actually might still be listening to more category episodes after this, so this is the last one of recording now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, get get ready, folks. The Oscars are coming up. Um, Marissa, where can people find more of your work until the Oscars? Uh, I'll be on on Letterboxd at all, if anything at all. I haven't had time to watch a single movie and I'll probably have to cancel the movie I was going to see tonight. Um, no. Yeah. Sorry, Birds of Prey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you can find me at the site, uh, thepopbreak.com. I'm sure I'll have something coming up in the next week. Actually, the week of the 14th, I'm going to have a lot of stuff coming up. So look out for that. Um, I can't name everything right now because I really, I can, I'm barely standing. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter at MattMFU1 and on Letterboxd at Matt T. Thanks for listening. <laughs>